Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Six Night Podcast. We've been away for a few weeks, but we're back. Excited to be back. It's Brett and I here to talk a little bit about, oh, Jesus, well, the World Cup's over, but we're going to continue to talk a wee bit about the World Cup because uh, our main man, Brett, here actually being in Adelaide, went along to a few of the games and went probably to, <laughs> well, we won't spoil it too much, but went to probably one of the all-time great fan experiences uh, in terms of something I'm very jealous of. But anyway, he's going to tell us a little more about that in the past. But before we get into all that, how are you getting on? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, g'day, everybody. Really uh, pumped to be back. Like, like I said, it's been a bit. There's been plenty going on. It doesn't seem like that long ago we were rolling through the, the World Cup previews and trying to bang all those out before we actually got to the World Cup. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it's been a big month or so. Yeah, 100%. Good month of cricket, but it's been a big month. 100 and it, it looks sad to continue like i always say there's so much cricket to talk about finally we're gonna we were just chatting a little bit offline but finally we're gonna get some red ball cricket i'm foaming at the mouth at it i'm like a rabid dog just like waiting to, to get a little bit of red ball cricket because i've missed it so much but um we will uh we will certainly cover that in the in the coming weeks but um let's pick up with the world the world cup so you're based out of adelaide sorry for for doxing you there to the world but you're based out of adelaide um, you went to two games. You went to one in the Oval and one in Melbourne. Tell us, tell us about the matches you went to and uh, the general experience. Because as we've talked about, it probably was one of the better World Cups in terms of the drama and the matches, even with the rain kind of ruining a few a few uh, decent games. Yeah, no, it was well for from sort of my perspective. Apart from the rain, sort of ruining a few matches along the way and potentially threatening the final in the end. Thankfully, it did hold off. Probably one of the best World Cups I can remember, particularly in terms of like a T20 World Cup. Like there were so many games throughout the tournament, heaps of upsets. Um, a lot of the associate nations well, and some of the lower ranked test nations also like acquitted themselves really well. Like I, I think probably the only two sides that go home disappointed with their performances would have been Australia not making the semi-final and um, probably South Africa with another chapter in their their book of all-time chokes. uh, Well, it's not a World Cup without South Africa choking at some point, but that, that, I mean, in the past, I feel that the choking choking has been done against sides that can legitimately beat them, you know, four or five times out of ten, but the Netherlands, the manner in which they lost that Netherlands match was was a little embarrassing, actually. Just consistently yeah, losing yeah. wickets to big big shots that weren't probably necessary at that point in time, but also fair play to the Netherlands. I think the other team that go home a little bit disappointed are probably the West Indies, and I would also maybe add Sri Lanka in there because just yet again, they couldn't get their batting unit to support that supreme bowling unit which any time they had a total of over 120 be it 121 they still looked a little competitive it's just that they couldn't get the runs on the board so um some uh some uh thinking to be done in the background there the sri lankan dressing room doubt. although they they did win the asia cup so you know we we perhaps were being a little harsh on them but yeah so um so you went to games in and you went to a game in melbourne i know that yeah so the the first game managed to get across to uh, it was a double header at the MCG. Uh, it was England and Ireland. Oh, uh, in, it was actually the match that Ireland won and uh, Duckworth Lewis. Well, and then the, we should we should just for, that's not an irrelevant point, Brett. Let's just put that to the side. That's completely <laughs> irrelevant. Uh, the only relevant Ireland point beat, here, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the only relevant <laughs> point is we beat England, and we were the only teams to beat them in the World Cup, which unofficially makes us world champions. But we'll we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's solid logic, considering <laughs> uh, Zimbabwe and Ireland have got the only two teams out of the Super 12s who haven't automatically qualified for the next World Cup, and they're the two sides that beat the two finalists. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, and it's a bit strange, that, because there's going to be even more teams in the World Cup next year. I think it's going to, they're going to be expanding it to 20 from... Was it sixteen this year? Um, with yeah. The the yeah, the qualifiers. Uh, yeah, a little disappointed uh, to to see that. Um, I don't know. Does Sri Lanka automatically qualify for the next one? Do they make it in? They do. Okay. That yeah, one. I think there's basically if 
you finished top three in your group, uh, no, top four in your group out of the six, or you were already in the top 12 in the world, okay. I think automatically qualified. So, so Afghanistan get in, get in by that second one then, because I think that, that was, the, yeah. that, that was the team that I was thinking they, I, I mean, I, I know they had a, well, at least one game rained off, but I was kind of annoyed for them. Um, cause I know they are a fantastic unit and didn't really get a lot of time, time to, to shine on the main stage, but yeah, well, well, Ireland, Zimbabwe will have to go through the, the usual qualifying run and, uh, hopefully we don't meet a, another side that are in, in top, top form, because I think qualifying for, for this world cup was tricky enough, um, based on some of the, the, the way, especially the way T20 cricket is played by the associ- associate nations, there's no fear in them. It's um, it's it's legitimately competitive, as as the Netherlands and Ireland and Zimbabwe all showed. So, that, um, that no fear, but was probably one of the things that I was really pleased to see. Like, yeah, okay, some they understood the sort of enormity of some of the tasks in front of them mm-hmm. when they're coming up against the islands. Uh, well, islands they come up against, like England or Zimbabwe, come up against India, like those kind of things, but they were still more than happy to to take it up to them and just go toe-to-toe, like even right down to the last sort of match of the last match of the Super 12, Zimbabwe had a, a reasonable crack at uh, at India, but unfortunately just sort of fell away near the end. But they all just played this fearless brand of cricket where they, I wouldn't say they don't care, that would be doing them an injustice, but they're just not afraid of, taken on some of these big names they don't get overawed by the situation i i, I totally agree you, you know the great the best example for that as an ireland fan the best example for me of that is any time we played australia we have just got completely skittled we come across bowlers like glenn mcgrath or brett lee or mitchell johnson or nathan bracken and in today's age mitchell stark and we just get completely and utterly skittled and it wasn't it wasn't like we we the ma- the match scorecard between Ireland and uh, Australia doesn't doesn't look um, competitive, but you'll remember that was the Lorcan Tucker game. That was the Lorcan yeah. Tucker game where you guys needed the net run rate to be pretty advan- advantageous. You got us down uh, pretty early, and Lorcan Tucker still comes out and goes, Fuck, you know, "Screw this! I'm going to score 71 from 48 deliveries," and it wasn't close. Like you, you guys run by one by 42 runs, but. It was just the character that and and the ability to play against those top 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 tier players that we'd been missing for for a while. So yeah, very very encouraged. I have to say. How, how was yeah. the how was the crowd there at the, at the Gaba for that game? Um, it, it was pretty good. Like there was a reasonable chunk of English fans there. There were a couple of small pockets of Irish fans there who were making a, a fair bit of racket. Um, I met up with Arnie that day oh, nice. um so we we sort of dubbed ourselves honorary irishmen for the day and uh yeah we were firmly on board the irish train which was good but i'll tell you what fans do really impress me it was the second half of that game uh the second game in that double header mm-hmm. the, the the afghan fans that game got rained out they were playing supposed to play new zealand that afternoon there was probably 10,000 people at the MCG or 8,000 people at the MCG. It wasn't a very big crowd for the England Island game. Mm-hmm. I reckon the crowd just about doubled before the Afghanistan game. Oh, nice. And there would have been 15, say 15,000 people there. And it sounded like about 30,000. They were out there singing, dancing, cheering, even when it was raining, like, that just their absolute pure excitement because admittedly they probably don't get to see Afghanistan play live all that often. Yeah. yeah. So just the, the absolute pure like excitement to be there was, was nuts. Unfortunately the game did get rained out, but like the, the appreciation from the Afghan players was clearly there as well. Well, like I think Rashid Khan came out, just near the end, just before it got called off, he probably spent half an hour out there signing pictures, oh, what a man. Signing, taking photos with people. What a man. Um, I, well, well, here's the thing. You kind of always, for, 
probably overlooked the fact that Afghanistan borders Pakistan. Pakistan are crazy about cricket. Pakistan borders India. They're crazy about cricket. India borders Bangladesh. They're crazy about... It's just like they kind of get left off that little subcontinent or the middle of Asia group where they obviously are insane about cricket. Um, but that's, uh, that's, that's great to hear. I actually, in the run-up to... The, the World Cup, there was a series between, was it Zimbabwe and Australia? Or Zimbabwe and India? Their their fans look like a total laugh as well. I want to get to a Zimbabwe game at the next World Cup. They look like a real laugh. So that's a, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. And then so you, but, you, uh, you, also, you also went to the Oval, obviously, down near you in Adelaide. Yeah. So got, got to a couple of games at Adelaide Oval. Um, the first was, again, I saw a lot of island play. So Ireland and New Zealand in a, a double header with Australia and Afghanistan. Um, that was the game that uh, Josh Little took that hat trick. Oh yeah, uh, for the the Irish boys. Uh, what did, uh, did we, what did you think of him? I was impressed with him at the end of the tournament. By the end of the tournament, I was like, that's that was like, quicker than I would have thought. Like, again, I don't get to watch a heap of sides like Ireland play too much cricket, but I've always. In my head, and it's the same with a lot of these associate nations, um, well, lower-ranked test-playing nations in Ireland's case. Um, I've just got this picture in my head of, okay, their pace bowlers are sort of 130Ks, yeah. one, low 130Ks, sort of medium-fast, a little bit of swing. But across the board, they had some they had some guys that could really get the ball moving. Like Josh Little was sort of touching mid-140s for a while. Um, another one that caught my eye was Van Meekeren from the Netherlands. Like he bowls, he's a big unit and he bowls with some proper pace as well. Interesting. Um, and a couple of the big boys from Zimbabwe were, were very impressive as well. Um, Zarabani and Nagava, they were, I found those both guys. As a guy who likes to watch uh, fast, generally likes to watch fast bowlers do their thing, um, I'll I was pretty impressed with some of the the sides that you don't necessarily associate with having uh, much in the way of out and out pace bowling. Yeah, uh, get a chance to to strut their stuff. Yeah, well, I th- I think in the case of Ireland and the Netherlands, certainly in the club game, much much like the English County Championship, you know, you don't you, even in the English game, you know, the Mark Woods of the world are hard are hard come by or the look woods of the world are hard come by because so many of the guys rely on movement off the pitch and movement through the air just with the, the nature of the pitches and the weather and that's the same in the Netherlands and the same in Ireland so Josh Little is a is somewhat of a a unique um talent for us and a guy that if, if I'm if I'm running a T20 franchise and I need a, a quick free you know relatively cheap transfer or an addition to the squad that has a bit of pace I, i'd be taking a gamble out of him because he equipped himself well in the world cup equipped himself well in the 100 as well um yeah excited excited about josh little just hope he doesn't doesn't uh classic pace bowler chat here but doesn't doesn't uh, succumb to any injuries uh hopefully they're managing his workload a little a little more responsibly than others um but uh yeah and did you both both the games in adelaide went ahead no, no weather issues. Hopefully, yeah, no, it was a it was a good day. A little, little on the cool side, but uh, not nice and sunny that day. So, uh, got down, watched uh, New Zealand while well, they knocked off Ireland that day, and the, that was the game that Australia had it all to play for, and needed to really do a number on Afghanistan, and made the bizarre decision to to drop Mitchell Stark uh, oh. prior to that game. And then uh, I think by the end of it, everyone in the stadium was was probably an Afghanistan fan with uh, Rashid Khan going mental at his uh, home away from home in the Adelaide Oval. Oh, the strikers! Of Forty-eight up about twenty-five balls or something. Yeah, forty-eight. Just yeah, about I, dragged. I have the scorecard here. I mean, it looks like Glenn Maxwell kind of got you out of jail a wee bit with fifty-four off thirty-two. Rashid Khan almost did the job and the number on you with 48 off 23 it was a four run victory that's yeah, yeah it, they and this was the logic from the australian selectors they they dropped mitchell stark who's hasn't been in the greatest of form but in a must-win game you you probably keep your best wicket-taking bowler in the side 
Um, then the logic behind it was, okay, well, we think Cummins and Hazelwood can take wickets up front and we'll bring Kane Richardson in to bowl at the death. Kane Richardson, I think, went at about 12 and over he, uh, he in was, that particular game. Yeah, he was four for 48, like literally 12 and over. So, sorry, sorry, one for 48, was, one for 48 off four overs. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, he, he's one of the bowlers that, uh, for, from an Australian perspective, I, I classify him as a a good domestic bowler in uh, particularly in limited over stuff, but he's one of those guys who can't make the jump into um, international cricket. Like he, he's had probably half a dozen chances, like reasonable chances in the side, and he he just never seems to to show anything that suggests he's could lock down a spot in the side. Yeah. Does he have any any big bash league pedigree there? Is he is he kind of a, a recurring? Like, is that what yeah. you mean? Like he's a recurring guy in the in the big in the big bash, but you know can't do it against Afghanistan when it matters, basically. Yeah, one of the the leading wicket takers in the the history of the big bash from from memory. He's played for quite a few clubs. Like he was an Adelaide boy, he played a bit, fair bit for the Strikers. Yeah, I believe he plays for the Melbourne Renegades now. Um, but same kind of mode of operation where he bowls a lot of cutters, a lot of slower balls uh, on a, some of the pitches where it's a little bit slower and it's going to grip in the deck. He he's not too bad. Like that's why he tends to find himself on a lot of limited overs tours to the subcontinent. Gotcha. But. He just seems to. It almost seems like sides now know what they're gonna get from him, and they basically just play him like a fast off spinner. Gotcha. I, when when I saw his inclusion in the squad in general, I mean, this this is there's some somewhat of an ignorance from my side of things in terms of you know I knew the big lads in the Aussie squad like the Starks, the Cummins, the the Hillswoods even the Lions when it comes to the Test Arena and, and Scott Boland, but he, you see these names that come in and out. Jai Richardson is another one that, that springs to mind in terms of he, he had a little um, run in the uh, in the Ashes, I think he had a, a, a game there. Would he would he not be in the... Is he, is he more of a, a, a Test um, and ODI specialist? or More so coming off injury. He, gotcha. he has had a few problems with shoulders and elbows. Um, so didn't quite get enough runs under the belt before the T20 squad was picked. He was one that I would probably expect to to be in that side, well, in that squad ahead of Kane Richardson. Mm-hmm. The other one, and you may come up later on in when we start talking about the next World Cup, but the one that I think had to be in the squad is Nathan Ellis. Gotcha. He's um, just like he's probably over the course of the last two to three years, he'd be probably the best performed, uh, and across the world, like you're talking, he's done it in he's done it in England as well. He's done it in the Australian team in the subcontinent. He does it regularly in the Big Bash. He's probably the best performed T twenty pure T twenty bowler in Australia, and uh, didn't make the squad. Hey, why would that be? Um, it was more, I think, a show of faith to the guys who got it done last time. Gotcha, yeah. And Ellis was in that squad, but it was an expanded squad because of COVID protocols and that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, kind of, so, so kind of like uh, you, 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 want, you want it in, in the UAE or Dubai or whatever it was played, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you can band together even though you know, some of the well, if they're dropping Stark the day before a, a, a decider against Afghanistan, there I'm I'm not sure that that's all that's all there is there. That's a that's a, a crazy decision in my mind. Yeah, it it made no sense. Like I think the way I see it, the the way you're going to rip potentially rip the heart out of Afghanistan is with some out and out pace, uh, particularly pace and swing. Um, Stark's a guy who, in a game where after you've batted first, you've only made a middling score kind of, what do they make, one 
160, and 180 or something. They made 164. Sorry, sorry, Australia yeah. made 168. Yeah, so only making 168, needed to bowl Afghanistan out for about 80. The secret to doing that was having, probably having your best wicket-taking option in the squad, in the side, and giving him a crack with the new ball, and that would have been Stark. Yeah. Like, Richardson, uh, I don't know if you ask me, okay, they tried to have some logic around it, but if you ask me, and probably... 99% of Australia, um, <laughs> you have a stark in the side over Richardson every day of the week. Yeah. Well, he came back into the ODI side, opened up the bowling, took one wicket for uh, at, at an economy of four and a half in the first ODI against England uh, and then picked up four where he he had one of those runs. He just ran through the ran through the lineup. He and Zampa ran through the lineup in the second test and ended up with four for 27 yeah. or something. So. Yeah, it's well, that, that's the kind of performance. None in the first over. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a, he's, and, a, he, uh, he's a he's still a star in my one hundred percent. The ball that he bowled to Milan was seriously impressive as well. Yeah, yeah. I I I think the ones he bowled to Roy in both games were were pleasant to look at, but I hesitate to give him the full credit for that, just given the yeah. the horrible shape that Roy's in at the moment. Uh, I think you and I were chatting offline. So it's it, it it's looking very bleak for for Roy. And um, well, maybe we'll come onto that in in a second with our uh, our look towards the next World Cup. I want want to finally ask you about because I'm sitting home here jealous already of the fact that you've gone to to two or three World Cup matches. But um, tell us where tell us where you went just before the semi final uh, of the World Cup. Uh, yeah. So some some of our listeners probably don't really know how the three of uh myself you and arnie met which was through uh the fan craze cricket nfts um and uh sort of built an association through that and uh, some of the the content creation stuff we were doing there um but yeah so sort of thanks to to fan craze being the first icc event since the launch of the platform uh did get the opportunity to go to a fan craze collector event which was basically a tour of the like behind the scenes tour of the SCG. Uh, we then got out onto the oval for a little bit. Along the way, we met Dale Stain, uh, had a good chat with him, um, had a bit of messing around with Spider Cam. But the sort of um, cap of the night was uh, an invitation into the ICC Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So you're talking real sort of money can't buy experiences that and it was a genuinely special night uh sort of Shivner and Chanderpaul, Charlotte Edwards and uh Abdul Qadir were the three inductees on the night. There that's not that's not yeah. a shabby a shabby trio <laughs> that's that's a lot of runs there. Yeah. A lot of runs, a lot of wickets. So be, being able to get in um Ian Bishop, sort of one of the great orators in the game he was the MC, so it was a night that flow flowed really nicely and got the opportunity to meet um ian bishop shivnaran chanderpaul russell arnold uh, i didn't get the chance to meet charlotte edwards she left just before i i headed over and um usman kadir uh, took some time out of the the pakistan camp to attend the night on behalf of his father um before then heading back to the hotel because they had a semi-final to play the next day but uh yeah it was one of those ones where looking back on it particularly now it was one of those things that sort of like wow like it's, it's fair to say the the only other people that i know who could say they've been to an icc hall of fame event were the sort of 10 people that were there on the night yeah um but yeah, re- really, really cool to get over, as well as meet some of the fan craze team as well. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's it it it's a it, it's a pinch yourself moment when you when I hear like that, it, it it sounds like a real pinch yourself moment. I can't believe I'm here at the ICC Hall of Fame, um, you know, right before a, a World Cup semi final. Um, any any crack with Deal Steen or any crack with Jimmy um, Chanderpaul when you were you were chatting to them? 
Uh, well, yeah, uh, Dio Stein actually told a really cool story um, about a match that he played with against India. Um, Mornay Van Wick was wicket-keeping and accidentally took a sleeping pill instead of a hay fever pill um, <laughs> to deal with his allergies. So he went out to to keep and Mornay Morkel was opening the bowling and the keeper obviously is the person who sets the depth behind the stumps for the keeper and the, the slips fielders. And so Mornay Morkel has grabbed a new ball and he's come charging into to Verinda Sawag, who's sort of eyed up a big booming cover drive. First ball, got a huge outside edge. And because they were standing about three metres too close, uh, it, the ball just about took uh, Graham Smith's head off at first <laughs> slip. Uh, and then then they kind of clicked that, uh, they're like, what's going on? He's like, oh, well, I accidentally took a sleeping pill. I've just been trying to like dose myself up with coffee and Red Bull and stuff to get through it. But <laughs> like he, he barely knew where it was. Oh, that's um, so that was a, that was a pretty cool story. But then in, in true cricketer fashion, uh, we were talking to him about his, his fan craze moment and sort of went to him and go, okay. He's like, Oh, what, what is my, my moment? I'm like, Oh, you, uh, you bowling, uh, Tillicratney Dilshan in 2014. He goes, Oh, no, yeah, that's in the World Cup in Bangladesh. Um, yeah, bowled him. He'd just hit me for four fours in a row. So he pulled up the moment and watched it. Like he was watching it on my phone. And, yeah, sure enough, the score when he takes the wicket is one for 17. Oh, wow. And he's just bowled Dilshan for 16. Jeez, he's totally so he knew exactly what ball it was just from getting the, the description. Jesus, uh, uh, you really, wouldn't, really you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to cross a cricketer like him. You'd hold a grudge very easily for remembering remembering yeah. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, for a guy who was pretty intense on the field, absolutely lovely fella off the field. Like um, when the tour guide was sort of starting to take us away and go, okay, we've got to keep moving. He's like, I've got more stories to tell. So he just kind of walked with us for a bit, followed us to the the elevator, just told a few more stories. Jeez, what a man. That's amazing. It's, he's getting into commentary now, is that right? So, And that's where we met him, was in the 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 media centre at the SCG uh, in the commentary booth. Gotcha. They'd arranged for him to meet us in there, so he sort of gave us a bit of a rundown on how, how it works and how much prep work goes in for some of these, like, long-time commentators. He said it's quite amazing. Some of these guys, they they'll do... Like a player will come out to bat and they'll open up their book and they've got two or three pages worth of notes written on this player and like where they scored their runs, how they scored their runs, who they score them against. Just stuff to talk about while they're batting. So the batsman can get a duck and they just flip the page and move <laughs> on to the next guy. Like <laughs> uh, we said some of like the amount of research that some of these guys put in is just phenomenal. Uh, it really puts into perspective some of the the uh, the more interesting things they they do talk about in the test. Whenever whenever maybe there's a batsman that's on two hundred or something. I I seem to remember Shane Warren a number of years ago talking about what his favorite kind of pizza was after a night out. There's a famous part where he's like, and they did a poll whether people wanted like a dirty a dirty rotten. I think he called one of them or a pineapple pizza. So um, yeah. still obviously a little bit of. Uh, natural uh, content in there but that that's fascinating um i'm deal staying like probably probably in the top two aussie bo- or south african bowlers of all time you know he and donald certainly are are gonna lead the attack in any uh all-time south african team so what a what a man to meet that's amazing yeah no, it was it was uh de- definitely a day that i'm not gonna forget in a hurry um, sort of following that, got my way back to Adelaide and then headed to the India-England semi-final. Uh, the the team were, were nice enough to put me up in a, a hospitality box uh, for the, the demolition job that uh, Hales and Butler ran on the Indians. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was a stark 
Um, there's a stark difference there watching that between generally, I think, the sub the, the, the subcontinental teams, you know, the likes of the India and the Pac- and the Pakistans of the world and England. And yeah. yeah. I mean the 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 other team that kind of came to mind as I kind of watched them through the tournament were West Indies back in the day where you had the like likes of Chris Gale or or Brendan McCollum for New Zealand back in the day and Martin Guptill. It's it's that brand of cricket they were able to play against them. Um but yeah, it was it was quite the demolition job. Yeah, and I, I think coming out of that, there's going to be a few teams that go away, lick their wounds, and, and potentially come back with, I guess, a fairly big philosophical difference. We spoke a lot in the the lead-up to both the Asia Cup and the World Cup with India spruiking this, this change of mentality and wanting to be more aggressive, but when it mattered, they they went back to what was familiar and... They were very conservative. Um, they relied a lot on Kohli to make runs and also uh, Suryakuma Yadav to, to blast sort of big totals towards the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were very conservative in the power play. They almost get caught up. What it looked like that night at Adelaide, there was a lot of, like, Adelaide's, probably the exact opposite of most grounds in Australia. It's long straight. It's very short square. But India got almost got caught up trying to hit the ball where it should go. Like mm. you get a full ball on off stump, they try and hit it down the ground. Or they get a ball over the top of off stump, like back of a length over the top of off stump. And they're trying to, to work it sort of into mid-wicket or into mm-hmm. the covers. Yeah. Then as soon as England came out to bat, you could see straight away, like, he hails to get the same ball back of a length over the top of off stump, and he's leaning back, trying to carve it, like, through point from, like, really close to his body and just had a, a clear intent to, okay, well, I know where I'm going to try and hit the ball here. I'm going to take on the short boundaries. England, uh, India, I don't think, took enough risk on and over where you can actually get away with a fair bit, taking on a fair bit of risk. Yeah. I, if you're happy. The shocking thing is, that, yeah. And the shocking thing is that that's, that's not revolutionary. That's not, you know, shocking, it's, shocking stuff. It's quite, it's, it's quite normal uh, in this day and age. Yeah. It's, that was the thing that shocked me the most. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be a few teams, New Zealand or probably another one who, think are starting to they've been a successful sort of white ball team for so long but i think they're starting to now face a bit of pressure to reinvent the wheel a little bit and try and get a bit more uh, scoring impetus up front and finn allen is the guy that they've kind of earmarked to do that but when he gets out they they seem to be conway and williamson are starting to face some of those same questions that Baba and Rizwan seem to face all the time about um, not potentially not scoring fast enough and putting too much pressure on the hitters lower down. All right, so uh, picking up where Brett was kind of leaving off there, uh, what we thought we'd do is uh, you've probably heard enough reviews of the World Cup at this stage. You've probably heard everybody's team of the tournament for 2022. But what we're going to give you, we're going to look forward to 2024, which uh, still TBD where those matches will happen. But at this moment in time, the ICC are telling us it's going to be West Indies and the USA. Um, the USA will be, I think, five locations, Florida, Houston, Chicago, LA, and Indianapolis. Um, so I might find myself in Indianapolis at some point. That's probably the only reason I'm ever going into Indianapolis. So uh, we'll we'll see if I, I get there, and then the West Indies. I think there's 13 stadiums. So, keeping in mind um, those facts, there will also be 20 nations in the World Cup this uh, in in two years' time. So there's going to be a more expanded kind of qualification uh, for the those who are not automatically qualified. But what we thought we'd do is we'd look forward, and given some of the sentiment Brett was mentioning around the ripping up the rule book or ripping up the the plan for some of these countries that have um, maybe some hangers on or maybe they need to take a different 
a change in direction. Uh, we're going to look forward to 2024 and try and have a guess at what a 2024 team of the tournament might look like, or at least have a have a guess at some of the the types of players that might be in there from from the different countries. So the only rule for this that I'm I've put out there is that I am expecting. Well, I'll, I'll do one caveat. I fully expect India, as they've not noted in the last few days, they've basically they basically done an Elon Musk and walked in the place and fired everybody. And they said, "Look, let's <laughs> let's get a let's get a whole new view of this going on, and let's uh, we're going to hire a new chairman of selectors, all that kind of stuff." So that's the only caveat I'm going to give to mine because there's some there's probably some eye openers, but that, I, I need to put that in before I start being called you know crazy by people. So, um, <laughs> Brett, anything you want to add? Uh, before we we crack into this, no, I, I think some of the names I'm going to throw up along the way is probably more potential. Not even so much bolters into squads, but names from from the the edges of squads and or outside of squads that that could make a run and find their way into some of these these teams and potentially play fairly prominent roles yeah yeah okay well well let's let's just dive straight into it uh so i'll go with my opening pair which was by far the hardest one to pick for me um because like we mentioned Hales and butler were so 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 strong and many of the other sides didn't have a out and out opening pair that were as destructive as we might have come to learn or expect in, in world cricket. So going in line with that India, that massive shift that I'm expecting India to go through, I, I'm kind of anticipating Hardik Pandya is going to be T20 captain, which allows Rohit to exit stage right, allow, allows mm-hmm. KL to exit stage right. No harm to KL. Those guys haven't really, well, Rohit's won a World Cup. KL hasn't really won anything. I think it's time to move on. So... Putting that to the side, I think Hardik will retire from Test cricket, which has been speculated a lot, and I think there's there's going to have to be a rejuvenation in the the Indian game if they want to prepare for the World Cup. I think they need two new openers, T Twenty specialist openers, and for that reason, I'm going with Rishabh Pant and Rutaraj Gaikwad. And Gaikwad is probably the the most Ooh. outlandish name in my my T Twenty uh, eleven. It, this was a very, very, very tough one to to pick. There are other names that I could throw out there, but I think Gaikwad has played two seasons in the IPL. He won, I think, he won the Orange Cap in his his first ever season. He was the, the only player to win that uh, IPL award, uncapped by India. He's only been given eight chances to open the batting in T Twenty for India since, and I just think if he has a good IPL and they're looking for a change. He's the guy who can cover the bases in terms of if there's a tricky wicket, he can stroke play. And if there's not, he can he can muscle the ball over the rope. And then Rishabh Pant, I, I just think throughout that last World Cup, I was just looking at, at, at that team going, look, I, I understand why DK is in there, but you've seen what Rishabh Pant can do in test cricket, in the test cricket arena where he just takes a test away from you. Why can't you figure out a way to have the man do that in t20 cricket like give him a leash give him a long leash and it'll work out and so i i think the the way to to help help hopefully do that is to have him have him open and give him a complete license and go we'd rather you get out for eight off two deliveries than 12 off 24 or 12 off 20 or whatever so that's my opening opening pair um there are other names that i, I could have put in there but anyway i'll 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 let you judge me uh, on on really good uh, judgment. I, in in principle, I, I like it, and I think you're on the money. I reckon it's almost a certainty that India go to a split white ball, red ball captaincy, and Rohit keeps the Test captaincy, and and Hardik Pandya will almost definitely assume the the one day and T Twenty captaincy. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already seen in their series in New Zealand. They have given Pant a crack at the top of the order, um, and and as much as we've we've sort of appointed me the 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 chairman of the the Virat Kohli fan <laughs> club, I, I think you're probably putting your hand up for the uh, 
the chairman of the Rashad Pant fan club. It's not the first time yeah. we've thrown that, uh, that name up. Speak, I, I, speaking specifically Indians, the two names I'd probably throw up there as well as genuine options are Ishan Kishan. Yep. Um, I think even if he doesn't keep, he's still got potential to, to play a significant role on that side. And the other one that's kind of fallen back in the pecking order a little bit, but I, I think is prime and I've got a, a keen eye on sort of under the watchful eye of Ricky Ponting at the, the Delhi Capitals is Prithvi Shaw. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he burst onto the scene. He was going to be the next big thing. He kind of just fell off the face of the earth a little bit. But uh, through the back end of the last edition of the IPL, he was one of the fastest scoring batsmen in the competition. So I, I would expect him to be given opportunities over the next two years and wouldn't be surprised at all if he uh, lines up in the Indian T20 side yeah, come the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, well, well, first of all, I'll happily assume the role of the Rishabh Pant, president of the Rishabh Pant fan club. I, I, I do... I, I, I just, I just think that people forget about. He, he's gonna blow hot and cold, um. But when he blows hot, he's just gonna win you the match. You know, it's, it's a match-winning yeah. innings. Um, and I don't know if he's maybe a more of a confidence player than we realize, but uh, yeah, I'll happily assume that role. I think you're, I think Ishan Kishan was another one that I thought of. I think he's in more or less a, a similar situation to Gaikwad, where he had a fantastic couple of seasons for the Mumbai Indians. They played them, paid him a ton of money. And he just hasn't seemed to feature uh, featured all that much in in the India setup and run up to the World Cup. You could also add somebody like a Jaiswal for the uh, the Rajasthan Royals yeah. in there. Is another one. I mean, they do have these guys like knocking around in the IPL. So, so I think so, what we're saying is somebody from that group is going to put their head above the pulpit. I've gone with Gaikwad just because I think he's maybe more under the radar than others. But the guys you mentioned, um, uh, yeah, the other guys you mentioned uh, obviously are. Fantastic too. The guy that I really wanted to fit in, but just as I as the as the squad uh, kind of formed, I really wanted to try and get Kyle Myers in there. Uh, he's a little older; he's in his thirties. But I, I just another guy who I think you know looks a little bit like Chris Gale at times in terms of the the builds, the West Indian. He muscles the ball about the place. Um, couldn't quite squeeze him in. So that's the other. Uh, he and Will Jacks actually um, were the other kind of notable mentions in, in the in the Craig McElwain panel of uh of twenty twenty four uh you know players to watch. Uh and anyone else you'd you'd mention in there for the opening pair from other teams? No, they're probably the ones that you that come to mind outside of um I guess guys who featured featured in this tournament. Um from an Australian perspective, I think David Warner will still be there. I actually kind of expect Travis Head to to make his way into that T20 side. He's a generally a vastly better white ball player than he is a red ball player, but seems to get a lot more opportunities in the test match arena than he does mm-hmm. in the white ball thing. He's just made his return into the, the one-day side. Um, Look, looked he, looked fairly he, strong, actually, in the ODI. Looked fairly strong. Yeah. Like, he, he's peeled off runs for fun over the last couple of years whenever he's turned out for South Australia in the, the domestic one-day competition. Um, like, it, I believe the thing was last season, he had a double hundred. I think he actually has two double hundreds or a double hundred and a hundred and ninety or something in, uh, like, limited overs domestic cricket. That's, um, um, yeah, that'll so. raise the eyebrow of a few people for sure. <laughs> yeah. I you, you mentioned that, I mean, the the... The team of the tournament this year had Hales and Butler, which is unsurprising. I just kind of thought, you know, Hales is 30, about to be 34. So he's going to be 36, 35, 36 in the next World Cup. I w- it's in- entirely possible that Butler could be in there. That, that, that's a name that 100% could be there. I w- have actually have great faith that he could be in the team of the tournament. But um, throwing in a couple of new names uh, there for consideration. Moving on to number number three, another one that I kind of struggled with given the form that we saw Coley in again another guy who's it's entirely possible I think he's still in the T20 squad in two years time I think he's still batting three and I think he's probably still making a ton of runs 
But I've gone with Doal Brevis, uh, who's 19 at the moment. So he's going to be 21 when the T20 World Cup comes around. And we talk about the the rejuvenation of a of a T20 squad. And I think South Africa needs to go through that with their top their top order. Um, you look at Tampa Bavuma was open in the batting. I think he probably makes exit stage right at some point. And I think mm-hmm. Dewald Brevis, just what he's done in the the uh, the SA twenty challenge or whatever it is down there, um, just seems like a a golden opportunity to to bring a young man in there and uh, and give him that experience. And obviously, the Mumbai Indians have faith in him too. So uh, yeah, that's that's my selection there. The other names, obviously, Coley was big. Um, was was the other, but the, the big one that I was struggling with, you know, tr- trying not to include Coley um, was tough, or trying trying to to explain why Coley wasn't in the side is is tough. But anyway, yes. While we're talking top order and or young top order players in particular, and I guess it's probably more of an option to throw up back where we were talking about openers. Do you, do you see someone like Will Smead making a run at the English squad? Yeah, I had um, probably yeah. in line with Will Jacks as probably the next two cabs off the rank from outside of the squad. Yeah, I th- look, I think Will Smead has a as a great a great chance. The thing that worries me about Will Smead is, I think he is a. Uh, well, I think I think I think there are probably a, a few more ahead of him to to step in in the interim and have a crack at doing the the opener job. Will Smead, no no doubt, is a very, very talented player. I think experience-wise, he's still, you know, he's still only played a handful of uh, franchise T20 matches. I think he's really only started this year or last year. So I think just from an experience standpoint, that's going to play against him. But um, a Will Jacks, Will Smead opening pair in a franchise T20 uh, game in, in in England would be fantastic to watch. You know, if you're if you're going along to a game, I can't remember who they each played for. It might have been the the Trent Rockets and the Manchester Originals or somewhere or the Oval Invincibles. Like box office stuff for for the the hundred next year whenever they turn up. But yeah, it's it's a name to watch for sure. For sure, I just think that the experience is going to play yeah. against him a little bit in the interim. Um, the other name we didn't we didn't really cover there was the. The kind of elephant in the room of the of the Australia squad, a man who was opening the batting and hitting Indian uh, pace bowlers to any part of the ground he wanted, just about a month and a half ago. Mm. Cam Green on your yeah. radar to to be in there next for two years time. Uh I I think he is a walk up start in the squad. Um. The Australian selectors had to fight all sorts of temptation to to not shoehorn him into their squad right at the last minute. He still ended up in the squad due to an injury to to somebody. Oh, Inglis got injured. He cut his hand. A golf club snapped in his hand and uh, cut his palm. And the second of the sort of conspicuous golfing injuries yeah. in the lead up to the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, just a quick insert there was uh, in the in the post match uh, interview after the World Cup final. They were chatting to Joss Butler, and Joss was saying how you know great form Alex Hills is in, and he played golf the morning of the World Cup final. It's like after what happened to Johnny Berstow, how are the England management team allowing their <laughs> probably one of their two top best batsmen in form going out to play golf? But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, um, but yeah, the I think I think Cameron Green's in there. I'm not sure he performed all right. He performed very well for that uh, brief period. He opened the batting in those T20s in India, and it's certainly going to help him fatten up his bank account in a couple of weeks when uh, the IPL auction goes ahead or a couple of months. Um, but I don't. I think he's in the squad. I think he probably fits in a little bit lower down the order. Um, probably ahead of one of the the existing big hitters that were currently in that Australian side. Mm, the Stoinis or yeah, the Maxwell. The Stoinis, David, Mitch Marsh. Yeah. 
that kind of um, somewhere in that combination. Yeah. Um, did you see the 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 sledging from Butler? I whenever Green was batting. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing ink. That was yeah. fantastic. Um, moving on to number four. This is uh, this is where I think this manager is going to continue on the the absolute form of a of a lifetime. I think uh, Surya Kumar Yadav Sky. I think he's my number four. I, I I just struggle to see any gap in his game that he can't manufacture himself out of form and into form. Um, he's just hitting shots that don't look like shots. Uh, can hit the ball to everywhere he want, he 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 wants to. Uh, really excited to see him in the IPL come February March time. Um, I fully expect him to be in a couple of years time still be the 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 top batsman in the world at, at this form of the game. I, I, there's nothing that suggests to me anything other than that. So Sky makes the the team as my number four, um, yeah. and that kind of completes the top four there. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any argument there whatsoever. Like that's probably the easiest spot in the whole side to pick. Yeah. The only possible thing that makes that not straightforward pick is if you go, okay, does he bat three? Does he bat three? And and there's talk of um, them selecting him in the test team. I think the the nice thing at the moment is that he doesn't have to worry about test cricket, so he can he can play that shorter format of the game. But there's talk of him being selected for the test team. Um, does that? Does that make him a little more tired? Is there a little more more travel there? Does he, you know, he's going to be thirty five in the next, sorry, thirty four the next World Cup. So uh, he is he's a little older than I actually thought, but um, yeah, uh, agree. I, I at the moment this moment in time, I think it's first first name on the team sheet for for any World Eleven. Yep, absolutely. So we get to five and six, which are traditionally, I guess, like what we would call the closers. Who are your closers you're looking at for two years time uh, i think i think one of them is still going to be hardik pandia yep like he's just pretty got a got a pretty firm grip on that best all-rounder in the world uh sort of mantle big game player as well um I think he's you probably lock him in at five in pretty much any side. You know you're going to be at, potentially get three to four good overs out of him as well as your sixth bowling option. Yeah, um, and can come in at five if you've lost a couple of quick wickets and build an innings and accelerate later, or he can come in and accelerate. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, you just lock him in there and sort of throw away the key. Agreed. No, no argument. And then at six, I have a lad who I think we're still yet to see the best of, has shown glimpses of being fantastic. And um, in this rejuvenation of the Australia squad, I, I'd l- a little bit of a gamble here just because I, I don't think there are too many other closers out there other than maybe you know, DK had a fantastic IPL. Um, Liam Livingston is, I guess, considered uh, a, a good closer. But Tim David, I think Tim David has a good chance of having consistent runs in the Australia Australia team there. He's obviously fancied by a lot of the franchise um, nation or franchises across the world. Uh, and I think he showed some some you know glimpses of, of brilliance, very athletic. So I'd, I'd fancy Tim David to, to take more of a, a prominent role in, in the Aussie side coming up in the next two years and... and Become one of those those top notch closers. In the the right sort of age bracket as well, like that late twenties, he's gonna. Yeah. I think he'll be thirty at the next World Cup, so he should be at the the absolute sort of peak of his powers. The other name I probably throw up there, uh, similar kind of player, uh, Tristan Stubbs. Uh, he was on the the McIlwain panel as well. Yeah. Yeah. That like you. I think he only got one or two games at the World Cup and then found his way out of the side. But I think a, a combination, a South African team that's potentially going to roll into a World Cup with him, Russo, Brevis, and Decock in sort of four of your, your top six 
is is going to be dangerous. Throw in Miller if he's still going around. Then it's probably going to be his swan song. Yeah, like it could be a very very dangerous batting line. Uh, yeah, uh, s- scary. You know, we talked about uh, England's selection of heels. Um, putting aside all of the off field stuff, it was a scarier eleven with him opening the batting, and I think those names you mentioned with the South African team that that's a scary top four or five. You know. W- you ask yourself if one of those guys goes off, do they win the game? Well, yeah, more often than not, they do. You know, um, mm-hmm. so that so so that gives us we're, we're going with two Indian openers. Whether it's Kishan, Gaikwad, Pant, um, Yashva, uh, Jaiswal, the other couple of names we mentioned, Brevis, possibly Coley. Uh, we we think that he's probably going to be still in good form at three. Um, Sky at four. And then we have a mixture of Pandia, we both completely agree on, and then Tim David slash Tristan, Tristan Stubbs. Um, so then we get on to kind of, you, you give us a run through of what you thought was going to be important for the World Cup. And I think a lot of that, this, this World Cup, a lot of that came true. You be, and England kind of molded their team. I'm not going to claim they molded it based on your advice, Brett. You can you can take that, uh, you can take that victory lab if you want yourself. But um it was clear that they had a wrist spinner, an all rounder finger, an all rounder who was kind of a finger spinner, an all rounder who was a pace bowler in Stokes, a couple of quickies, and then a, a, a supreme death bowler, which it turned out to be Sam Curran, who I don't think anybody really had him pinned as going to be the guy who's going to be the best yeah. death bowler. Um, but we kind of get in. I, I've gone with that theme as we get into the all rounders and into the the bowling unit. So. Um, Two guys. I'll, I'll do the next two. Who I guess you'll be considered. Both would be considered all rounders. They're both twenty four. And when I, especially one of them, when I when I heard they were twenty four, I was like, God, he has got another ten years of doing what he's done for the, what it seems like the last ten years already. Shut up, Khan, who you know was in the team of the tournament this time around with his his little um his little kind of quick low skitty um finger spinning uh finger spinning uh deliveries and then Rashid Khan as well who has kind of gone on notice because of the way Afghanistan went through the tournament uh, Rashid Khan's 24 years old no clue that that was the case <laughs> so he's still he got is, a ton of have, have you seen the bench warmers where they they get the ring in they get the Cuban guys the ring in for the baseball game and they they ask to see his his birth certificate, yeah. which is written in crayon that said yeah. I'm 12. <laughs> I always think of that when, when people talk about how old Rashid Khan is because he started playing in Australia for the Strikers when he was 19 and he looked like he was 30 already. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, he has the most immaculately trimmed beard. I mean, I've never, I've never, seen, never seen a man who looks like he's just out of the barber shop every time you see him. You know, he's immaculately trimmed uh, beard um but yeah so i i have the two the two of them um coming in i mean i guess maybe shut up can you could probably point it at him and go a guy who we haven't seen enough of to really know if he's going to come in and out of form maybe the other guys i had on the panel there were um similar in nature to to shadab and rashi khan and, and the likes of hasaranga Tishana, and then mujib who continues to impress me for for afghanistan as well i think i think that's pretty well nailing yeah like if you're thinking so what are we at essentially number seven in the batting order so to five bowlers as such mm-hmm. well and you're gonna have a couple of those bowlers who can bat a bit i think shadow fits into that spot pretty well rashid fits into that spot very well like a really underrated finishing type batsman as well like some of the cameos that he's capable of can they take some of those good scores to great scores or mm-hmm. below par scores up to a pass score or what we even saw in the match against australia in adelaide he can nearly single-handedly drag a side over the line um so yeah i would pretty well agree with that with hasaranga i think also a show particularly if like the West Indies conditions tend to favor spinners yeah. a reasonable amount. Uh, no one's really sure what the pitches are going to be like in the U S 
but if they are if they do tend to be similar to the West Indies pitches, it might be the kind of um they might be the kind of conditions where you can play Shadab as an all rounder and then still play two spinners, particularly in our side, knowing that we've got Pandia as a potential third yeah. seamer. Yeah. Uh and if you want to include Cameron Green somewhere in the line there, you've got another Another guy who can chuck it down at a, at a good speed. Um, so then I get into the the three pace men, and you again in the World Cup, it kind of became clear that if you had someone with out and out real top quality pace, and you just had to look at the team of the tournament, where they had Mark Wood, I think he bowled the fastest delivery, Shaheen Afridi, I think he bowled the second fast delivery, and Anrek Norkia, who bowled the third fastest delivery. Real top quality pace men. Um, with Shaheen probably being the guy who is the most cunning behind his his deliveries, I mean, Mark, Mark Wood's been around for a while and so is Norkia, but I think Shaheen, especially for a man at the age of 22 who can swing the ball um, incredibly well, is is going to be dangerous. And to that effect, fingers crossed with the man's injuries, I have, as my, my kind of trio of pace men, I have Shaheen Afridi, who's 22. I still was incredibly impressed with Arshdeep Singh, who was, like, I mean, he and he and Nazim Shah, who Nazim Shah probably gets less of the plaudits that he that he might deserve. But both of those guys as very very young individuals, bowling quick, and swinging the ball around corners. I mean, especially Arshdeep, um, swinging the ball and and bowling fairly well at the death. Uh, and then finally, for me, a guy who was kind of forgotten because he had an injury right before the World Cup, uh, but was just making a mess of stumps in the test arena through the last 12 months. And that's uh, Kyle Jameson of New Zealand. I think he has that height factor, that bounce factor, um, very, very tall individual, bowls quick, and maybe offers something a little bit different to the likes of Shaheen and, and Arshdeep. Uh, so that's what I would be going with. But, but there's a long panel of names after that who who could emerge as oh, we've yeah. seen some of these young, young pace men Shaheen is only 22, Arshdeeb is only 23. Um, that doesn't even mention guys like Umar Malik. Uh, doesn't mention people like Gavesh Khan. I mean, yeah. So w- any other names you would have on your, your radar there that I'm, I'm overlooking? Yeah, the... Was, I just want to talk about Arshdeeb just real quickly. For a guy who came in out of the World Cup, out of the Asia Cup, rather, and we talked about some potential question marks over whether in whether or not he was the kind of guy to take this Indian attack forward. Um, I think he's definitely answered those questions through the World Cup, like straight from that first spell uh, against Pakistan mm-hmm. where he, he pinned Babar on the crease. Um, seemed like every time he bowled, he had the ball on a string um, with the exception of the, the one game he probably didn't bowl that well was the semi-final where none of the Indian attack bowled well. Yeah. Um, there wasn't much swing around and, and Butler and Hale sort of had their way. But, uh, yeah, I, I think in terms of the regeneration of the Indian side, like, you're going to Boomer come back into that side. I actually think Ashdeep is probably going to be the one who pushes... Um, Bhuvaneshwar Kumar out of the side. I would agree. Uh, to then create space for an Umran Malik or a uh, maybe even like a Mosin Khan, um, big tall lefty from uh, he played for Lucknow in the IPL. Uh, get, gets it through at good pace. Uh, I think he had something like the best economy rate in the power play out of every bowler in the IPL last season. Um. But I think India value having that sort of swing bowling maestro in their side. And I think Arshdeep is probably the, the longer term answer to that and gives them an option to to remove Kumar from the side, mm-hmm. bring Boomer back in and still have a spot to bring in someone who can add a different dimension to their bowling attack. Yeah. I, I, and I think that you you mentioned Boomer there. Uh, I I I think that that kind of blueprint you've outlined makes total sense for me. I I think that much like with Mark Wood, 
and much like with Joffre Archer, I think there's going to have to be a a decision around Jasper Boomer because um, he's you know he's had three in, three injuries now in the last kind of twelve months. I think you have to probably if you're the Indian selectors, ask yourself where do we want to get the most out of out of Jasper? Um, is that in the Test arena? Is it in the ODI arena? Sorry, red ball arena or, or white ball arena? Um, I just yeah the likes of Wood as well. I I I can't. Especially with with Wood having won two World Cups now, I think you know might have scratched the itch a little bit in terms of playing that kind of cricket, and maybe he wants to go to the Red Ball or vice versa. You know, give up the Red Ball and come back. And then Archer, we our our comments are well documented in that. So, yeah, um, ne- leaving out at, Iron at North, stage, yeah, go ahead. No, at this at this stage, we haven't uh, we've left out the reigning player of the tournament in Sam Curran out of our <laughs> eleven. Yeah, yeah. Um, through, look, he's fantastic. I, I think he's he's fantastic. He, he impressed in the hundred. He impressed obviously in the World Cup. Uh, this is probably like more of an eyesight test than anything else. I just look at somebody. Was he like five foot ten and like a hundred and thirty pounds or something? You know, like it, I, it just like you 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 stand him beside that attack of Afridi, Arsteep, and Kyle Jamieson, and he's going to look like the baby brother every single time. So. <laughs> Uh, we we could probably eat that eat my eat our words on that in in two years time, um, but yeah, you could look you could add his name to the panel by virtue of what he did in the last two months uh, for sure. The other name is yeah. Anrik Norkey has now made two team of the tournaments in a row. I don't think there's anything that would suggest he wouldn't potentially make the third a third in in two years time. Um, I just sense there's going to be a shift in in some of those those uh indian and pakistani teams that will we'll see a little more of the youth in the in the pace department um which uh, has been great looking forward to to nokia coming out to australia for the the test summer um pretty excited to watch cummins hazelwood stark go toe-to-toe with rabata mm-hmm. nokia and ngidi mm-hmm. or marco jansen Jant- uh, whoever they uh decide to play yeah, there could be. You could have those days where you have, you know, eighteen wickets fall in a day. You know, those kind of those kind of days, just with the the pace and bounce and whatnot. Uh, all right. So, a last question is: If you were to be absolutely certain of one of these guys, if you were to like put the mortgage on the house, this guy will definitely be in the team of the tournament in two years' time. And you tell the you know the wife you're going to be rich because of it. Um, who's it, who's it going to be? And you can't you can't pick Sky. Okay. All right, so absolutely certain team of the tournament. I reckon if I'm picking anybody, I'm picking Shaheen Afridi. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I'll go with a, a perhaps an unsurprising one, um, Rashid Khan. I think Rashid Khan is... Yeah. There's not many tournaments where he goes under the radar. He kind of went under the radar this time around. And with a little more teams in there um, for the next World Cup, I think that's someone who's going who's gonna to emerge as a, and remind us all of his, of his pedigree. So, anyway, right, Brett, well, I'm going to leave it there. Um, but it was great yeah. chatting to you. And uh, we will uh, we'll chat again soon. Yeah, no worries. Catch right. you later, guys. See ya.